some, something movie boys. Oh I, no! I didn't. Not, th- not movie boys. Movie boys. I didn't think of anything. Dun dun dun. But that's what it is. The name of it. Not really. It's the spin-off <laughs> Doctors is what it is called. I'm Jim <laughs> Sterling, and I'm joined by Conrad Zimmerman. Hello. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm feeling. Uh, I'm feeling chipper today. Me too. Uh, honestly, the the movie we're talking about today. Put me in a. I mean, I was already in a fairly chipper mood, but it's uh, not dampened my mood at all, which is a surprise. Yeah, normally, uh, normally when we we get together and, and record this, you're just you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of understood the fuck in this one. Yeah. Yeah, fully grasped the fuck. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that that was that was a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're talking about DOA. Um, Dead believe, or alive. Dead or alive, which they uh, very rarely say in the film. Well, there is they there really is do. another movie called DOA. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it's sort of a, a noir-ish thing set in the 1980s. Yeah, uh, I was just googling it. It's um, about a detective who's poisoned and has 24 hours to figure out who killed him. Mm-hmm. DOA, yeah, a 1950 American film noir mystery. Uh, directed by Rudolf Matei. Oh, there you go. Considered a classic of the genre. They remade um, it in the 80s, and that was the version I saw. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah, just after that, Google result is DOA, Dead or Alive. Dun, dun. Directed by Corey Yuen. Yuen? Yuen? I, I, I have apologize. no idea. I, I, I always fuck up pronunciations. Um, but it was produced by uh, our old friend, Paul W.S. Anderson. Had his hand in it. And starring... Uh, an interesting cast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did mention at the end of the last uh, episode that we did that uh, Holly Valance is in it, which will mean something to people of my age um, who who may have watched The Box or one of those similar music channels uh, at the time. So Holly Valance, Jamie Presley as well, who is um, uh, probably best known for My Name is Earl. Um, she's done some other movies and stuff as well. I always find her very entertaining. And some other performers as well. <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, most important, Kevin Nash. Big sexy from uh, the, the wrestling, the wrestling Ke- programs. Kevin Nash and Eric Roberts, who I, I guess I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more of because he tends to do a lot of the sort of B-movie bad guy things and he puts in a very b-movie bad guy performance he does very much so so doa dead or alive as a 2006 movie and it's of course based on the dead or alive video game series which i have very little uh interest or experience with well it's um it's it's the game with the jiggle it's that. That's about all I know. Right. It's 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 a Tecmo game, which means it's always got a well. It's a Tecmo and a Team Ninja game, which means it's got a seventy-five percent chance of always being sleazy trash. And I don't mean that to be insulting, even though it sounds it. No, but um, I'm glad you make that distinction because there's other stuff that Tecmo puts out that is less consistently sleazy trash. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Tecmo, Tecmo and Team Ninja uh, are capable of providing things that are not. So much sleazy trash. Well, and not, but I mean, Tecmo, uh, Team Ninja is just part of Tecmo, too. I mean, there's other, they put out other stuff. They do. Well, I mean, they merged with uh, Koei as well in the, yeah. the mid-2000s, um, 
possibly, I don't know, around this... No, after this. It, it, was, it was after this. It must have been about 2008, 2009 they merged with Koei. I just uh, think, I just think it, it's, it's worth noting that it's Team Ninja that's consistently sleazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Team Ninja, pretty, pretty sleazo, uh, which is fine. Yeah, there's not that sort of thing. I don't. Yeah, I'm not passing judgment. Yeah, like I really wanna like because because this movie and the games are objectifying as fuck. And you know what? I am sick and tired of people going. Eh, it's not objectifying. Eh, it's not objectifying. No, 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 no. The argument you want to make, the argument I would respect to a degree, is. I acknowledge it's objectifying. I enjoy that. Or, you know, yep. I'm okay with that. You know what? Like, just, just a little intellectual honesty would go a lot further with me than saying it's not objectification. And, that's, and that is essentially my position on this stuff. I mean, I don't particularly enjoy it. I understand how someone else could enjoy it. Like, that's fine. That's fine. If it's what you like, I don't think it's necessarily hurting anyone that it exists. Like, it doesn't infuriate me that it exists. It is objectifying. And that's part yeah. of the culture. It, it is literally a fact yeah. that that's what it is. And then that's between you and your gods from there on out. Right. Um, I yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't think... I don't care what you enjoy. I don't in... think it should be an argument whether or not it's objectification at yeah. all. It very, very clearly is. And... I, mean, I, I liked the last Onichandra game. It was pure sleazy trash. Yeah. But it was, it was enjoyable. And part of the enjoyment was just, like, how ludicrously sleazily trashy it was. And that's the thing about, I think, DOA and uh, your Onichambara and uh, even to a certain extent... Um, oh, I had another one of these. The, oh, Bayonetta is another. Those games own it. 100% own it. Yeah, they're far less ashamed of it than a lot of their fans seem to be. Right. The ones that will try and cover it up. It's like, well, no, the, the game's not bothering. Why are you? And I, <laughs> you I, I respect that. Like, that is, that is completely different from trying to create some alternate justification. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, I, I, I want to touch on this bit only briefly. Because I don't need more death threats. Um, and I don't think that this... And, and, and yeah, I think part of the reason why we're addressing it so uh, much right now is that it is much more a facet of the game series than this movie. Yeah. So Although this movie really does its best. It uh, does. Especially it, at the beginning. Yeah, it does try. There are a few... <clears throat> it does its best to expose the breasts for our pleasure. Although... The movie is fairly family friendly. It, despite... it got a PG thirteen yeah. rating. No one really like. I think there's maybe like a death in it, um, and even then, it's not explicit. But but the characters, even when there are weapons, the very few times there are, um, they're not used very much, and they're mostly there for threat purposes. Um, but it is. It really does uh, appeal to what they call the male gaze uh, in in various instances. Which again, I'm I'm not here to to say oh this should be stopped, ban this sick filth, um, and no one to my knowledge was really saying much of that about like the Dead or Alive Extreme games, the spin-offs, with which really were all about the the characters in the bikinis, uh, and that you, was it. Mm, ah ah. 
Oh, you've touched a nerve. DOA Extreme, at least the first one, was a very, very good volleyball simulator. It was a yeah. very good two-on-two volleyball simulator. It was an interesting social, you know, yeah. social gift exchange, visual novel game as well to some extent. Yeah, fine. But that volleyball, that volleyball was on point. Uh, it wasn't in the one I played by the time it got to that point in the well, series. And, and they did... I played the PSP one. It oh, was oh, amazingly mm, bad. Mm, mm. The, on the original Xbox, uh, the face buttons on the controller were yeah. pressure sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were analog, every single button, and they stopped doing this. Um, and it wasn't like uh, on PlayStation 3, or the PlayStation 2 controller, where they had um, like two states of pressure. This was a full range. It was kind of awesome. Nobody used the feature in their games, except Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. And so the pressure with which you hit one of the four face buttons to return a volley mm-hmm. determined its strength. Interesting. And it was, it was, like they, I'm not, I'm not fucking around here. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of girls in bikinis and I played the shit out of that game. Yeah. But I never really wasted my time with the, oh, we're going to give you a scene of someone laying around in a bikini crap because that wasn't interesting. Mechanically, this was a, a really, really well-designed game, and I have to give them a lot of credit for that, even if it has this other stuff and leverages this other stuff to generate interest from another audience. Yeah. They and actually made that, something good. Even that, I can, again, like with Onachamba, I can find some sort of amusement from it. Oh, yeah. From, from the, 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 the desperate, pandery kind of... It's very tongue-in-cheek, and you look at some of the stuff and you're just like, I, I cannot believe that this is the level mm-hmm. that they went to. Yeah. And, and, and to, again, just I, I want to touch briefly on this one particular game, which would be uh, Dead or Alive Extreme 3, uh-huh. which, from what I heard, wasn't a good game. Uh, certainly didn't deserve all the fucking fury and, and controversy around it. And the people uh, trying to take my video down from YouTube where I made a joke about it because apparently that's how you defend free speech. Um, but I didn't care whether it came out here or not. And most people didn't. Like, like I, 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 you know, from the feministy people I follow, they don't give a shit about Dead or Alive Extreme. Because they know what it is. Yeah. And it knows what it is. It's never going to change. It's not interested in changing. And it's why I never got that whole, you know, that insinuation from the developer that, oh, they didn't want to deal with Western critics and shit. It's like, yeah, most people are probably going to call it shit, but they were going to call it shit and then move on. Because, I mean, certainly the last one I played was fucking shit. Like, like mechanically as well as everything else, it was shit. So I never quite got that because no one, no one, to my knowledge, maybe there are some real extremists, but to my knowledge, ain't no one trying to get rid of Onachandra or the Sakura series. No one gives a shit. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I think that's right. And so in terms of the the main series, like, as I say, yeah. I played a lot of DOAX, but I, I, at some point, I know I, I got a copy of the first one, which was a, a PlayStation game, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just 
to see if there was, because I had heard of it, and I knew it had the, 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 of course, the thing that I'd heard was that it had the age feature, which is how you would determine how jiggly the breasts were in the game. Oh, God. Yeah. And, and so I, that was the thing I knew about it, but people... What was it, 10 to 60? Something like that. It yeah. might, it might have gone to 99. It was, yeah, and it was, <laughs> it was very that, silly I mean, looking. I, how... Is it more jiggly the older it gets? Yes, of course. That's how it goes. Yes. So, so by 99... <laughs> by 99, the, they're slapping the them in the face entirely uh, yeah. on the slightest movement. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And wow. It, was, it was silly, and but that was... like I saw a documentary once on Channel 4. They were doing a... I forget what Channel 4 used to do. I don't know if they still do. They used to do these weeks, themed weeks about things. And... This, this themed week they were doing, I think it was about pornography in general. And it was maybe like an extremist pornography documentary. And it was uh, all about a video called Century Sex, mm-hmm. which had a hundred-year-old woman getting sexed. Hot. It was, it was, it was, it was Channel 4. Never too so, old for love, I say. Oh, absolutely not. Go out and enjoy. Um, but, but what... what Gets me is nothing was jiggling. <laughs> I, I don't think at ninety nine, jiggle is is the word, which is not a value judgment from me. If you're ninety nine and you want to get your things out, right, go for it. Your your knob, your frou frou, your tuppence, your baps, pop them all out. I don't give a fuck. But but I mean, I think. I think Team Ninja in general don't know how anatomy works, and I don't know how many naked people they've ever seen. Because <laughs> I get the impression that that their idea of of how the human body works and other other, other human beings' idea of how the human body works are very different things. Very different things. Yeah. At ninety nine, it's not jiggle. No. No, I would I would expect not. But no. uh, I and, and to be honest, hmm? they don't jiggle like that in general. No, at all. No, I mean I've seen a few sets in my yeah. in my time. Yeah, I've seen a fair few, and I've never seen them do that. No, no. and I've seen them. You know, in mine mean, come There's close. a range, right? There's a range. Uh, you, you'll have some that are inherently more floppy than others. Yeah. But it's not a function of age. No, not at all. It's a, it's a function of, of well, I mean, just, just... Well, mass and random. density it's, and, and, I mean, it's, it's all about physics, generation. Really. It's 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 no man's sky out there <laughs> in, in Boob Land. <laughs> so I did, I did get a copy of, of Dead or Alive because I wanted yeah. to see if there was something interesting there. Apart from this thing that I'd heard about. And uh, now, I mean, it's been probably ten years since I did this or more. So the only thing I remember about the Dead or Alive games is that it's the one with the age mechanic. <laughs> that allows you to adjust the jiggle. So um, I don't know if people like this series as a fighting series. Or if it's just there to fulfill this yeah. strange niche it's carved out for itself. I think it's I think it's like the others. I think it's like Mortal Kombat in terms of 
it's most known for a thing, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have its fans who are into it for the rest of it. Right. I I do believe Dead or Alive does have its own, you know, little place within the fighting game community and, and it has its own fan base who are there for the fighting game aspect. But the Norks help. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 that situation. It's like, yeah, there are people who are gonna play Mortal Kombat purely for violence and to see just how like extreme the fatalities can be but there are people that clearly enjoy it for what you know for everything else it does um that's just casual observation though uh, as i've said many times i'm not a fighting game player myself uh, i'd love to watch them i love to watch people playing them but then i don't really you know if there was a, a fighting uh, a dead or alive tournament going on i probably wouldn't bother yeah because because i just it it Everything I've ever seen of it doesn't look particularly, um, particularly enthralling to me. Uh, the other thing I do recall is, of course, Dead or Alive um, has Ninja Gaiden as part of a shared universe. And I remember a commercial. It was a Japanese commercial for, I think it was Ninja Gaiden 2 Sigma, where the six-axis, which was still a thing at the time, the little gyroscopic motion controller that had been hand-fistedly shoved into the DualShock 3. Um, every time you moved that up and down, it would make the character's tits jiggle up and down um, whenever you were playing as, uh, you know, uh, Ayumi or, or, or the other character whose name I think begins with a K, but I can't remember. Or was it... Mem- no. Kasumi? I can't remember. No, it was someone else. Where's a red dressing gown? And has a big stick or a spear or something. I don't know, it's been a long time since I played Ninja... I think the last time I played Ninja Gaiden was uh, the really awful Ninja Gaiden 3 on uh, the the port job. The Ninja Gaiden 3 already wasn't very good. And then when they ported it to the Wii U, it was absolute shite. And I played that at launch the last time I played it. Can't remember much about it now. I remember there was a T-Rex in it. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, the commercial for that, just slow motion um, Japanese man lifting a six axis up and down with their eyes moving up and down it with like really like like emotional music playing and then it would cut to a tv screen and show they were looking at you know this pink-haired girl's breasts going up and down exposed for their pleasure mm. um and so it was an amazing commercial a, a testament to, to advertising everywhere but that that's pretty much everything i know about dead or alive <laughs> And now we've watched the movie. Yes, let's talk about DOA, Dead or Alive. Anyway, that documentary interviewed the man who had sex with her, the 100-year-old woman. He said uh-huh. she reeked of death. <laughs> that's, that's really all I remember. I remember her nude, and then I remember him saying she reeked of death, which was a bit unkind, but at the same time, I don't think... I don't think she'd have been alive by the time they interviewed him, which is <laughs> sombering when you think about it. Makes you think about your own mortality. Anyway, DIY, Dead or Alive. Right. How did that film go? Well, so the, the film opens at a temple in some mountains in Japan, <laughs> and Princess Kasumi has decided to abandon her responsibilities to her people and go in search of her brother who's been missing for a year. It was a very colourful um, temple. It was like the set of a kid's TV show. Well, and there's, you know, there's this big zoom-in shot that takes you past, all you know, like hundreds of CGI. Which I instantly laughed at. Yeah. It like, was a bit I thought, silly. 
I thought that was going to be the the tone. Like, I thought this bit set the tone for the film. So I was expecting to la- like spend my time pointing and laughing at the film. Right, because it is it's super dramatic. I guess, or at least it's it's dramatic to a degree that you're like, oh, you do not have the talent nor finances to execute some drama on this scale. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so po-faced, this whole opening sprawl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and it's this temple, I mean, it, the costuming is immaculate and, and complex. It's this big hall uh, scenario. It's all very grand. And, um... Kasumi is uh, arguing with her brother's best friend, Hayabusa. He lets us know that, that he's... Uh, well, he lets Kasumi know so that we know. So that we that know, right. Makes it very clear. Uh, and you know, he's trying to stop her, warning that she'll become an outcast uh, to the people of this temple and, and killed by the guards. And uh, undeterred, she sort of marches out into the square and, and into the center of these you know, hundreds of guards that were CGI, but now we have some actors to sort of fill the gap. And uh, she just standing there in the middle of him and sees this glint of a sword being drawn, which drives her to kick a sword out of the scabbard of a guard who's surrounding her and, uh, and, and winds up uh, getting it out of, her sh- out of its sheath and into her hands in time to meet the charge of this purple-haired assassin. Yeah, yeah and this was another point where I burst out laughing because... That is the wiggest wig I've ever seen in a film that isn't, like, you know, porn level. And I I say porn level because the front cover of this film, the poster of this film, and so many of the shots in this film really do look like it was off, like, like it's it's the non-sex bits of a porn. Yeah. But, yeah, her wig is, like, obviously bought from Party City. It's not, like, professional grade. She's wearing a synthetic purple wig. The yes. one of that, that girl in that fucking kids show is more believable than that. I forget what that one's called. I think Rotten Robbie's called the bad guy in it or something. I no idea what you're talking Little about. Little girl, pink hair, um, creepily sexualized by men on the internet because, of course, she is. Um, people will know who I'm talking about, but that wig, in fact, any colourful wig you've seen in a kids' TV show is better than this one, because it just looks like a girl wearing a wig. It's it's a bad wig. It's a very bad wig. I, I, don't, I don't know about bad. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the best bit is later on when you see the wig, you could see the strands of, of hair like coming off it, like where the static has just <laughs> just just moved it out of place. So Hayabusa kneels, which causes all of the guards to kneel for reasons, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, because Kasumi's a princess. I um, and uh, she, he begs Kasumi not to leave the clan one more time. And this sentiment's reinforced by Ayane, who's this purple-haired n- uh, assassin, and points out that, well, she'll have to hunt Kasumi down in spite of her having once been Hayate's lover, Hayate being the brother of Kasumi, I hope you're tracking all this, because it's complicated as fuck. Um, but Kasumi just decides instead to throw her sword at the high walls surrounding the temple, and after running across the backs of the kneeling guards, which must explain why Hayabusa convinced them all to kneel, like, to justify this badass move, which is pretty badass, 
Uh, she jumps onto the sword, springs over the wall, and off a cliff edge on which it borders. And as she falls, her the rest of her robe, gown thing comes off, and she's wearing a backpack with a glider inside it and then catches a throwing knife that just flies right into her <laughs> reach. It was fucking brilliant. Containing just, an invitation to the DOA tournament. The so, first 15 minutes are amazing, so especially before, with how deceptively bad it all is. Well, yeah, and before we started, uh, Jim and I were just sort of bantering a little bit about you know how surprised we were by this film. And I said that there was a moment very early on where I just went, what the fuck is this movie that I'm watching? Like, I had, I had an expectation going in that this wasn't going to be good. All the signs pointed to this is really going to be bad. And then this sort of sets a stage for how weird it can suddenly get. And I have no idea what is going to happen. This is it. That hang glider coming out of the backpack and the uh, is it a, a shuriken or i mean it's some sort of double-bladed knife but it's not a, a kunai it's, yeah it's not a it, it is some sort of weird not boomerang knife thing i think there is a proper name for it yeah because i tried to, to look it. it up and i couldn't i couldn't yeah. figure it out most importantly though is it's got a little tiny computer screen on it that says you are invited <laughs> And, uh, and that's, she doesn't seem to think that's weird. Yeah. So that's, uh, so this is a normal thing in their world, just so we're clear. Oh yeah, like, this isn't like Mortal Kombat or anything. Like, everyone seems to know what DOA is. And, and so we cut just immediately to breasts emerging from a pool in a star-spangled bikini top. As uh, we are introduced to Tina, mm -hmm. who is exercising on a yacht and arguing with her father about how she doesn't want to be a wrestler anymore because wrestling's fake. And a group of pirates board her ship. And the pirates threaten to hurt her if she doesn't cooperate and give them the yacht. And well, so she something tells me they're going to regret that. Yeah, yeah. She, well, she counters by more or less repeating their threat, not super original. Yeah. A and then throws her beer can, which is clearly a Pabst Blue Ribbon <laughs> that they have just painted <laughs> over the ribbon. Yeah. And, uh... And Bonks this, the main one on the head with it. Yeah, and then this starts the fighting. Mm -hmm. Um... And once all but the last sniveling pirate has been thrown off the ship... Oh, he throws himself off. Yeah, because... she kindly helps him up. Yeah, and, his, and... His, she kicks everyone off the boat, and then there's one left on the floor all like, oh, oh, scared, and she helps him up, and then he points to the water as if to say, like, should I do it as well? And then she's like, yep, and then he throws himself off, and we all laugh. Well, and, but she's so gracious about it, and it's so kind of playful. Yeah. Like... I found it super endearing in the scene. Like, I, I really like, uh, I really like Tina in this movie. Yeah, well, I mean, Jamie Presley is, is you know, fantastic to watch anyway. Yeah. Is that the right one? Did I mention the right Presley? Yes. I know there's like a dozen Presleys. Yes. Okay, the right one, yeah. She's 
I find her a delight to watch in like anything I've ever seen her in. And she she was a good pick and and this is uh, I want to say surely at the time below her pay grade. But she she didn't Ben Kingsley yet. Well, I, I don't think she was doing a lot. I mean, she was doing TV, but she wasn't doing a lot of movies. Uh, I, I guess. Think. I guess. And then there's there's a diff that there's that's a different like there's a real distinction in the entertainment industry between a, a film actor and a TV actor. It's weird. That is true. I will. Yeah, I, I do know. There's some people who who look down on. Hell, I think there are people who have been looking down on Kevin Spacey because he's in House of Cards, and I'm like. Have you seen what American TV's like these days? Like, yeah, that's exactly. Legit. That's like, there's so much good fucking TV out there. Hollywood needs to fix their shit. Yeah, like stop remaking shit and and maybe look at what interesting shit's happening on TV. You fucking dicks. You think you're still the top of entertainment? You're a bunch of wankers. Anyway, Jamie so Kirsten she uh, wonderful. Tina enjoys another beer, and a DOA invite knife shows up, flies right into the deck of her ship. Yeah, uh, which... a, a, a knife invite. <laughs> that's what I think they are and she seems she seems pleasantly and she seems pleased with its arrival well she's almost with a look of like she like about time like yeah. she she'd been waiting for years for a knife vitation to just skewer her expensive yacht well she wants she wants an opportunity to be respected as an athlete yeah yeah very much uh, Johnny Caging mm-hmm. like her, that's her whole Motivation is a whole Johnny Cage thing. She wants to be taken seriously. Now, Christy is taking a shower in a Hong Kong hotel and comes out to find that her room is occupied by police. And they're here because her partner, Max, has sold her out over a robbery of a hotel safe. So she decides to very slowly put on her underwear. Oh, yeah, she's naked. Her breasts are exposed for their pleasure. Well, but they aren't. She's wrapped in a towel... Oh, at this point, yeah. She she's is. wrapped in a yeah. towel on uh, and, and seated in a chair, and she puts on the uh, her her panties in in this sort of very teasing, seductive manner, and the towel almost slips, and and you know, and the little giggle, and like she's really laying it on. Yeah, she makes us erect as we watch. Oh man, it's eh, whatever. I, th- I think it drags out a bit long. <laughs> I kind of like the movie to keep moving, but w- whatever. Um, and. Then she asks the uh, lead detective in the room to pass her the bra, which, what kind of, like, this is the dumbest thing. He puts the bra, he hangs the bra from his gun, and pointing it at her, puts (laughs) the, the bra in her reach. But, you see, if you were to do that, you would also be putting the gun in her reach? What you have another hand? Why would you not hand her the bra? It, it's but she kicks the gun and the bra up into the air. Yeah, and disables the other police in the room in time to catch both. I actively cheered when when she raised her arms so that the bra that was still in the air while she fought a bunch of guys just fell through her arms. And and the gun as well. She grabbed like I actively cheered. I thought yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, it was it was very very entertaining, and and she catches the gun and 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 as it com- and comes down just as the detective is about to get up behind her and it's pointed right at his dick and it's just the 
the choreography and, and sort of fight design stuff in this is pretty good. Like, this, uh, the, the director uh, of this, um, Corey Yuen, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. He's, he's done, you know, some, some pretty good movies. Like, yeah. he, he did a, a lot of Jet Li stuff. Uh, Romeo Must Die, the one. Um, it shows. It, do, it does show in the, in the fights and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and he directed the first X-Men movie mm-hmm. in 2000 like he's so he, he's experienced and and talented and the fight sequences are really smartly designed like that's something that the film deserves a ton of credit for and and this speaking uh, of which time for gems fact of the day uh, regular listeners will know that I like to drop in facts provided by Amazon, uh, which is, I, I watch these via Amazon video, and they provide, you know, actor details and little goofs, little continuity errors, uh, interesting facts and tidbits about the movie scene by scene. So I like to mouse over while I watch and show. Um, and the first of one fact I have for this week <laughs> is... Amazon did not consider this film important enough for any of that shit. (laughs) I got no facts. There were no actor details. There were nothing. Every time I moused over, nothing. That's kind of tragic in a way. Yeah, yeah. Considering, like, like I found that out at first, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be brilliant. This is going to really hammer home how shit this film is. And then by now, like, having seen it, I'm like, oh, this film deserved it. This film deserved Amazon facts. Where were you, Amazon? Come on, put some in. So she's she's got the gun pointed at the dude's junk and has him uh, fix up her her clasp on the back of the bra. Yeah. And then she escapes to an elevator where she uh, puts her fellow elevator passenger into his suitcase. Yeah, because she was wearing nothing but her lingerie at the time. Right. And he was a really old man and he was all self-conscious about... Being in the lift with a half-naked woman, and we all laughed. We did. It was quite amusing, and and so she, she solves the problem for him, puts him into his own suitcase, and disguises herself with his coat and hat. And in the lobby, as she's passing out of the hotel, Max spots her in this disguise, and sees her getting on a motorcycle. Which, as she's riding away, the wind visor on the front is struck by a DOA invite knife. Another knifeitation. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> oh. And uh, Ayane uh, is shown, given, uh, being given instructions to hunt down and kill Kasumi, just as, as she said that she would be told to do. So that sets all of our players kind of in motion, for the most part, I think. Yeah. Um, on the plane to, to the DOA island... A recording of Helena Douglas, uh, who is important. I guess she is someone important in this world. I mean, obviously she is in the context of dead or alive, but it's just interesting that she's presented as a big deal already. Like, they're supposed to know who she is already. Oh, yeah. Well, again, this is a world where everyone knows what DOA is. Right. And And she's the daughter of the founder, so... Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So they'd all know. We're not really given the background. We're not 
she, we're not given a real introduction to who she is, but we presume she's a big deal, just like we we have to presume that every literally everyone in this world expects at some point to get uh, a shuriken thrown at their house. <laughs> <laughs> so. All of the people on this plane have been invited to this special martial arts tournament with a prize of $10 million. Now, Tina's father is also on board, much to her dismay. Yep. Kevin Nash, big sexy. Yep. Looking looking big sexy, too. Damn right. Actually. Well, he was, um... Uh, the, the character he plays was based on uh, Hulk Hogan. So, Kevin Nash, of course, is very famously friends with Hulk Hogan. So, it is extra amusing that he is playing it's i mean i mean it's not funny but but it, it's literally what it is <laughs> um also on the plane is Zach who is some dick wheel with a hairstyle that i'm going to describe as a mo pigeon <laughs> at least it's not a, a fucking poundland wig that's true they actually act, they they colored this guy's hair and this beard yeah, but then at the same time, like, he let this be done to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe the, the actress who said, no, fuck that, get me a purple wig, probably has a bit more respect for her body than the actor who played Zack and was like, you know what, go for it. Green hair and a beard? Will it wash out? No? Nah, I don't care. Oh, and, and, and the spike on the top of his head is just, it's a very kind of small, compact thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's quite conservative, really. It's it's not, it's not what I would have called a mohawk. Hence the mo pigeon, because it's just yeah. so compact and small and and seemingly harmless. It's not threatening at all. It just makes him look stupid. <laughs> uh, so he decides he's going to try and hit on um on Tina, yeah. which is awkward and and does this he's he's nagging her really yeah i mean really like like this was i mean this was 2006 so this was before like pickup artistry and all that creepy shit had really uh gone mainstream yeah it did yeah yeah uh zach may very well have been the very first uh to come up with this tactic uh perhaps pickup artistry itself spawned from (laughs) dead or alive the movie we may never know (laughs) <laughs> but he taunts her over how wrestling is fake which is we all know is a sore spot with her uh-huh. having been a wrestler and not wanting because she's to... got johnny cage syndrome that's right and hayabusa got an invite also along with a uh, a hand to the throat when kasumi spots him and, and he sits down next to her and to round out the trio of women with unwanted men in their lives on this plane christy runs into max and uh gives him a good uh nut grab uh, while saying how she's looking forward to eliminating him from the tournament for having sold her out to the police in Hong Kong. Yeah. And she said she would do it, dead or alive. Ooh, that's the name of the movie. Yeah, and there was a really nasty squelching noise when she squeezed his bollocks as well. Like, yeah, they, they, they really went... They went... They did well with the sound effects in this, I think. Actually, yeah, I mean, as especially in one particular fight, like they they do not shy away from cartoon sound effects if they need it to make a point. Mm-hmm. Or, in fact, giving a leg a shotgun cocking noise. <laughs> but more about that later. Uh, then, next thing you know, 
uh, Helena's back on the video screen and she's telling people to put on parachutes and jump out of the plane because the island is below and the competitors need to be at the Buddha on the left-hand side by sundown or be disqualified. Yeah, which I think is bollocks. I think they just couldn't get a pe- uh, permit for a landing strip. I I think that's possible, but I do think it's interesting that how everybody, not in much the same way that everybody in this world knows about the DOA tournament and, 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 and anxiously awaits the day that they get their invitation uh, mm-hmm. by knife, uh, everybody on this plane knows exactly how to put on and use a parachute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they must teach you it in school. It's like jury duty. It's like there's a very good chance that one day a knife will be flung at you, letting you know that you've got to go to an island and fight some people for $10 million. So the first thing you need to learn is how to put on a parachute. You've got a kid in class just going, what? And the teacher, don't back chat. Strap it on. I mean, there's no hesitation. Not at all, no. I mean, even like like the really old looking, uh, is it Geng Fu? Yeah, Geng, Geng Fu. Fu. Like he he looks like someone who is not a skydiver. <laughs> like he, you know, he's the very stereotypical. Looks like he's been, you know, in a temple being wise all the time, or in a village somewhere, yeah. forgotten for decades. Yeah, but straight away knows exactly what's up. <laughs> Young and old. No matter where you're from, everyone knows how to put on a parachute because you never know. You never know when you'll get the summons to DOA Island, which is literally what it's called. Tina, Christy, and Kasumi miss their target and wind up having to climb this huge wooden tower surrounding the Buddha. No way does Kevin Nash know how to put on a parachute. No. No. Now, they all agree not to work as a team. Then they decide to work as a team because they come to the conclusion that they won't make it up all just working on their own trying to climb. It's taking too long. So they start throwing and pulling each other up the tower. Mm-hmm. Would that be faster? I I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like an odd strategy. I mean, they were defying the laws of physics no matter what. So Right, but I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, individually climbing, they were all going up at about the same rate, right? But if they throw each other three floors up at a go, but they have to stop to pull the other two every time, aren't they making the same time? Yeah, I mean, logic would dictate that. But considering they were flinging each other at angles that would have seen them fall to their death, I guess physics operate differently in DOA Island. I suppose so. Um, At the top, Kasumi falls from a broken rail, but is caught by Tina and Christy. And as she's hanging, you know, because I guess with the two of them holding her up, it's her responsibility to climb her way back. Yeah. I don't know. Very Um, big on responsibility, this film. I guess not. But she sees Ayane lower on the tower and knows that some shit's going to go down later. Yeah, because she uh, didn't take the wig off, which you think would have been the first move if you're trying to be, you know, inconspicuous. Another thing about this um, climbing each other scene, it's a little, there's a little, like, lesbian eroticism teased in that. Oh, well, yeah, the the, the film's a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, it's, it, it does some some 
some jokes and 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 so forth that are much more explicit later on. But you know, they really like pulling on each other's waistbands to mm-hmm. half, you know. Oh, undre- there is that 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 scene where um one of them does grab Jamie Presley's uh the back of her jeans and just yanks it down. Right, yeah, I think just, that's just in to this... remind us that there's an ass under that. <laughs> like that seems to be what it is. It's like they may have forgotten that women have like asses and boobs. Like <laughs> quickly, what can we do? Just like just like pull yeah, yeah, grab the waistband like that and yank it down really hard. But don't show it with PG thirteen <laughs> for God's sake. But they need to be reminded. They need to know what's under there. It is such a a, a a needle to thread to get across that this is a TNA movie while still hitting that PG-13 line. Oh, yeah. I mean, major respect to the makers of DOA, Dead or Alive, the 2006 extravaganza. Um, they really went to, I would say... Uh, innovative lengths to be as titillating as possible without the titillation yeah i mean you know it's schrodinger's boobs basically well i think i think the most explicit nudity in the entire film is the fight scene with christy in the hotel room where she is topless uh briefly while using a the towel she had been wearing to disarm to police and there's just enough angular shots and blur so that you never see any nips exactly yeah Uh, the other the other example of of it is zach which they cover so quickly and there's again so much blur that you i i looked for dong (laughs) i really did i could not tell whether or not he was wearing a flesh tone bikini or was dong out in that scene, and I really like that's that's why we needed Amazon. Where was yeah. Amazon when we needed them to tell us if there was a dong there? You let us down. I spent seven bucks on this film, Amazon, and you won't even tell me where the dong at. What's wrong with you? Sort it's, it out. It's Amazon. tragic. Emma, Emma's wrong. Amazon. Um, tell us about the rest of the film, Conrad. So at the top of the boot, a douchebag Max is waiting for them, and Helena uh, leads them in, saying that they're the last group to arrive uh, as the sun yeah. sets over DOA she Island. She sounds like Rita from Dexter in this. Does she? Yeah. I liked Rita on Dexter. How? Well, because she was... Because of what happens to her. <laughs> Like, I think she's she's a valuable character. I don't understand why Dexter likes her. (laughs) I want to talk more about this, but I realized it would just be spoiler territory and people would be angry. Yeah, for that television series that ended four years ago, five years ago. People still get pissed at me if I mention what happens to Aerith in Final Fantasy VII. She dies, by the way. No, she gets penetrated from behind. Like, you want to be clear. Yeah, by Sephiroth. Yeah. Yeah, like, we, we saw it And it, it kills happen. her. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's definitely why. It's Final Fantasy VII, for fuck's sake. It was out in the 90s. Get over it. The group is led into the DOA facility on DOA Island, which is, I guess, part research lab, part ancient shrine or something. Something like and, that. And Dr. Victor Donovan welcomes everyone and demonstrates flagrant nepotism by pointing out that Helena, uh, being the daughter of the DOA tournament founder, is going to get to compete this year for her 21st birthday. 
Yeah. And also, uh, Victor Donovan comes out dressed and basically looking like he has had many DOAs in his life. Yeah, he's looking a little a little rough. And 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 I think he's trying to, to pull off the cane and kung fu thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, he is full-on midlife crisis. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's bleak. I, I, I feel like they wanted Carradine to play this character. I honestly, when he first came out, like, for a split second, I was like, is that character? No, it's not. No, 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 it's not at all. Yeah, it's, like, it's they not. They definitely wanted one, I think. Like, one, either one I think they'd have been happy with. Either yeah. Carradine. They got Eric <laughs> Roberts instead. Uh, but yeah, I feel I feel like they settled for Eric Roberts. Eric uh, Roberts, when you can't get a Carradine. <laughs> but I mean, not that he's bad in this. But I think I think they said just they gave him old episodes of Kung Fu, and said just do this, but mm-hmm. bad guy. Um, <laughs> and he then sends everyone off for a physical. And we are treated to a fairly lengthy montage of people getting scanned by machines in their underwear. Yeah, yeah. Like, this There's is... a lot of, like, the underwear doesn't stop in this film. Let's just, like, have that as read. Right. The underwears is... and the bikinis, like, it's a constant throughout the film. This particular segment, though, is them full-on owning what this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is... In its purest form, uh, an opportunity to to ogle, and they want us to do it. That's They're... fine. I mean, and 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 front close up crotch shots too, mm-hmm. which I I was not expecting. They got a vagina under their kids. That's they really did. The they saying. really did. It's 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 hidden in there, but it is there. It's always there, viewer. <laughs> That's basically what the film was saying. If Amazon had facts for this, it would have just said the vagina is always there as a fact in every scene. And speaking of ogling, nerdy guy Weatherby is ogling Helena on a monitor in a secret lab as opposed to the less secret lab where they're getting their physicals. (laughs) And uh, Dr. Donovan comes in and has Weatherby change the channel to Tina because he was impressed by her musculature. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I'm sure he was staring at her musculature. Pig. Uh, but she's being injected with nanobots, which Weatherby confirms are collecting data on all the competitors, and Donovan orders that this be compiled into a database. And once everyone's had their physicals, they start limbering up and doing some, you know, exercising, which for uh, Helena seems to be like light, light rollerblading. Everybody else is doing all of this physically demanding stretching or kicking or, you know, or at least something martial arts oriented. Mm -hmm. And Helen is just sort of skating around the island shrines. It's a very um, calming thing to do. It's so out of place compared to everyone else. It's really weird. It's how she do. Um, and Donovan explains the structure of, of the tournament in a voiceover, which is basically that fights are to knock out. Donovan picks who fights whom. Uh, the fights can happen wherever and whenever, and there are no weapons allowed. So there you go. That, that like, sets the stage. It doesn't seem all that deadly for a tournament called Dead or Alive. No, no. Very few deaths uh, seem to be... Like, they seem to be genuinely unwanted. 
it, this isn't like Mortal Kombat. Like, it says dead or alive, but but Donovan's very much, you know. A live and let live kind of guy. Yeah. It's strange. Um, a montage of fights then ensues. Uh, yeah. And we see orange-vested behemoth Bayman uh, winning his first match. Christy wins hers. Uh, I don't know any of the other characters in Dead or Alive well enough to, like, keep track of who was actually who, and I'm sure they put the names up and I don't care, because they're not important enough to the plot to make it to the next round, so... Yeah. Um, they, um, they do do this very video gamey, which is, uh, Yes. They put the effort in here. They, they show that on this island, which is basically Punch Party Island, because there's a lot of people there that just seem to be hanging out for fun. Like, tons of people. Yeah. There are beach parties and people watching stuff on screens uh, who aren't fighters, clearly. No, um, but they're all, a lot of them are dressed in robes as though they work for the organization running this. Yeah, but they just hang out. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's a very... I don't know exactly how Punch Party Island works, but I, I'd love to visit. Well, and they're um, watching... on Like, there are monitors just in places. And monitors people crowding everywhere. around watching them. And like a fighting game, we see actual health levels in yeah, the corners the, the of these Yeah, the stats screens. that the nanobots, I guess, are collecting are being displayed uh, yeah, in terms nano- of, in, like, a simple health bar format. Nanomachines can do literally anything. It's it's amazing. Nanomachine sun. That's what it do. So there's that, and then whenever you see in the montage, you know, people are winning their fights, and they have the whole, you know, Christina wins and all that kind of stuff, like in a fighting game. So it's all, it's well, all get, authentic. Get, and they get, the vo- they get a, a woman's voice announcing it, uh, that someone's won. They have a little graphic that appears on the screen that looks like a, a game victory screen. Yeah, it's... They... They they tried to relate it back, yeah, and didn't do a terrible job of it. I've seen. Well, again, it it comes down to the moaning it because it's not like they tried to subtly weave it, like weave these references into the story, right? You know, um, it's what makes Shao uh, Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat, although amusing, a little bit cringy and a little bit awkward when he's like saying flawless victory and you're like, that came out of nowhere in in terms of dialogue that just sounds like a non sequitur whereas here it's like fuck it we will just own the fact that this is weird yeah in the context of what we're doing so i points for that points for that so we see Bayman, Christie, Hayabusa, Hel- uh, Helena and Genfu win their fights and move on to the next round yeah now yeah. Kasumi is not fighting She's sitting on some steps, looking sad and recalling the memory of that time her brother came and rescued her from some kidnappers, killing them with acupuncture needles, only to get an invitation to DOA. That seems to be the thing. Like, you, the moment you pull off a badass feat, someone somewhere knows. And it's, it's almost like the world, uh, the world that DOA is set in is split between two different types of people. There are those people living their normal everyday lives. And the other 50% of the planet's population is tailing the other 50%. (laughs) One person assigned to one person with the rule of the moment you see them do something badass, throw this near them. It's the only way this seems to work. (laughs) It's, it is, and it's an odd, like, it's such a strange situation for an invite to come from. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> but bear in mind, this isn't like we've heard about you having done something badass. It is the second your badass activity is over, it's flung at you. Fight <laughs> uh, so some pirates off a boat, get a knife thrown at you. Make a daring escape in a hotel room where no one could have seen half the shit you were doing in there. Get a knife thrown at your bike. Rescue your sister from some kidnappers with acupuncture needles. Have a knife with your name on it. So Kasumi then ambushes Donovan uh, in his office with questions about her brother's death at the prior year's DOA tournament. And Donovan explains that Hayate, uh, the brother, was killed fighting Leon and shows her the balcony that Hayate fell from, commenting that they never found the body. Now, Kasumi then remembers the day that Hayate left for the DOA tournament while taking a bath in some rose petals. <sighs> Which, I guess, we need... This is post-American beauty, right? Like, we have to have rose petals and everything right now in movies? It definitely was, yeah, because this was after I left college, and college, all the students would use American beauty music to trick people into thinking that their plays were deep. Okay, so there you go. Um... We're doing our, this is our, uh, one of two American beauty moments in this fucking movie. Um, and she's interrupted in this bath by Hayabusa. Yeah. Who's My favorite line of dialogue in this scene, by the way. Which is? Which is um, when, I mean, I'll, I'll just briefly take over just to get us there. Um, Hayabusa comes in and, uh, oh God, what's her name again? Kasumi? Uh, Kasumi, yeah. Kasumi explains what, what Victor Donovan said about her brother, but she says he's lying. She says, Victor Donovan is lying about my dead brother. And I, when she says he's lying, Hayabusa says, how do you know that? Or or like something like that. Like, how can you tell? And she's like, I have a feeling he's not being honest. <laughs> Which is up there with, you know, why did you want to become a mortal so I could live forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like her, uh, her, her proof that he's lying is that she thinks he's lying. Well done, Kasumi. Uh, but uh, Hayabusa to tries people. to convince her that, you know, maybe it's time, you know, because Ayane's here. Maybe Kasumi should go back home and ask forgiveness. And Kasumi's not going for it because she is convinced that Donovan is lying about her brother. Now, Christy finds Max waiting in her room with a proposition of his own. He explains that his calling the police on her in Hong Kong was part of his master plan to get her an invitation to DOA so that the two of them could steal $100 million from a vault hidden on the island. I mean, so, if we go by the rules of DOA yeah, no, and the I, world it's set in, it's a, it's a plausible plan. It's implausible by normal human life standards, but in this world... Ain't a bad plan. Yeah, apparently all you have to do is set up a feat of badassness yeah. and get invited. So, yeah, I could see maybe he's the smartest motherfucker in this room. That's it. Like, like we're supposed to like consider him as dishonest and shady throughout the whole film, but he may very well have been like, well, shit, I mean, if I want to get to DOI Island, then I'll just do this. Well, and, and he somehow managed to wrangle his own invitation, but it's never made clear how that happened. They never do explain why he's on the plane. Yeah. That's... Or how Ayani got there. Or anything. So to uh, 
open the vault, they need to first find it and also find a code with which to open it. But first, they're going to have sex. Now, in the secret lab, Donovan decides that he wants to see how Kasumi matches up to her brother and orders that she be matched with Leon, something that Weatherby thinks is a little harsh. And this is sort of the first instance that we're seeing uh, of Weatherby not being a sniveling yes-man scientist figure. So mm -hmm. there's potential character growth there. Um, now, Kasumi is making sure that her hair is laying right in a mirror when the mirror splits in half because Ayane is hiding behind it. And they fight for a bit until Leon bursts in to get his match on. At which point, Ayane escapes out the window and, and leaves Kasumi to deal with him. Uh, more fighting happens, and they bust through a wall over the bed where Christy and Max are enjoying a moment of post-coital bliss. And uh, they wind up sort of not cowering in the corner, but sort of laying in the corner of the room, watching them fight with you know co while covering themselves with a comforter, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Um, and after Kasumi beats the shit out of Leon, uh, she determines that he could not possibly have defeated Hayate and, and killed him in combat. Now, meanwhile, Tina's been trying to relax in a hot tub. But Zack shows up and continues his persistent attempts to get her to sleep with him, so she decides to play a funny joke, implying that she's going to pleasure him, then stealing his swim trunks and silently escaping the pool while he has his eyes closed. Oh, that Tina. And he opens them just in time to see Leon falling into the tub from the balcony of Christie's of Christie's room up above, and narrowly avoids being landed on, but doesn't avoid the shame of having to hide his dick with a small towel. We all laugh. I frame by framed this shit. <laughs> I couldn't no, see no, dick. No proof of dong, Al. No dong. Yeah, and Amazon couldn't help us, wouldn't help us, refused. I can neither confirm nor deny the presence of dong in this scene. That's all I'm saying. I have to find the actor and ask him, where, what about that dong, though? Hey, ten, ten years ago, when you were in this movie that you're trying to forget. <laughs> what happened to your penis, sir? Did you commit to dong? <laughs> I wonder how he'd take that question out of the blue on Twitter or uh, satisfied with the results, Donovan sets the last match in the first round between Tina and her father. And Christy and Tina are just going to bed, the former staying in the latter's room because of the, Kasim, uh, the uh, Kasumi Leon fight earlier having destroyed hers. And, and then Bass kicks, it, kicks down the door to start the fight right then and there. Yeah. Uh, which kickstarts Kevin Nash being the best bit of the film. Up really? until then, he's been, you know, it's been Kevin Nash just being, you know, himself. But here, like, the moment he has to fight his daughter, he is kicking down the Tina! <laughs> With added footstep clomping sounds and everything. Like, he's just some lumbering, implacable man. And it's awesome. And he's so excited at the prospect of fighting his own daughter, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's, he knows that Nobody's gonna get killed, I think, and 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 it's just, and he's just so. Enthused. He's already opted into or alive, so he's not too worried about it. Right, and so he's just he's all into it, all excited. And he comes into the room, and there is Christy and Tina in the bed together. Um, and, and Tina's like Tina's excuse is, "I'm in my underwear. I'm not ready to fight," which is adorable. 
like this little father-daughter moment yeah where he she she appeals to to his uh, sense of love and understanding about his daughter to not have the fight right this minute and, and embarrass her and then he sees Christy, and Christy makes this great comment about the underwear and not sleeping naked. That like the whole scene and the exchange and and the way everyone plays it is so cute. It's honestly a it's honestly a, a well done scene. But I mean, the basic upshot is is that that Kevin Nash thinks his daughter um, is sleeping with Christina, uh, and uh, you know that that. He's just found out his daughter is gay. And he's so okay with it. It's like, awesome. Overly, like, to the point where she is, like, like trying to convince him otherwise. And he is, like, like overbearingly all right with this. Um, and, 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 but, and at the same time, it's conveyed in such a way that it's not, like, the over-the-top concern over no. whether or not, you know, my daughter is going to... Uh, you know, feel weird about this situation. He's just like, this is so okay with me. Yeah. Like, it is It is one of the best scenes I've ever seen about it, it, misplaced sort of If I were coming out to my know, father... Misunderstood, rather. I would want my father to be Kevin Nash. Yes, yes. Um, I think the best bit is when, um, you know, he asks uh, uh, Christy's name and she says so. And then he just says, Tina's name is short for Christina. <laughs> yes. He's so excited that, that that she's found someone in her life. It doesn't matter who the fuck it is. And it's it's just... And then it, you got Christy playing along with it and, like, putting her head on Tina's <laughs> shoulders and everything. Like, it, it's genuine. Like, not just... Like, this isn't me being ironic or anything. Like, it's a genuinely f- yeah. fun scene. Yes, I, it, 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 has, it has no place in this movie. <laughs> I don't know about that, because I, I feel like, for me, this was the point where the movie officially went from, you know, Okay, I, so I'm sorry, it's, you know, I like, should like say, I shouldn't to... be seeking this in this movie. Yes, yeah, it's an, it was unexpected, but it did set the tone for basically a good chunk of the rest of the film. Yeah, where it suddenly decided, you know what? All that shit at the beginning, where we were all serious and po faced, now we are literally a cartoon with human actors. And I, I think I think they do a pretty good job of softening that, like that very very first initial, you know, sweeping through the Japanese temple scene and and all of that with Kasumi, right up to the point where that invitation arrives. All of that super serious. But that Tina bit immediately following totally changes the tone. Mm-hmm. Like she's so yeah. she's so playful and and likable, and it's not yeah. serious well, at all. I mean, all. I'll say like like it's not serious, but it's still badass. You know, it's still trying to be like a bit edgy and a bit badass. But I feel like and it deflates all of that so effectively when she helps the other guy up. Because, See, I'm not even sure about that because it's still showing how like awesome she is that he terrifyingly throws himself off the boat. But she's so casual about it too that I don't feel like she doesn't come across as terrifying. It's just understood that the result of trying to go up against her at this point would be futile. Right. I mean, I'm just saying that that it's not until this scene with with Kevin Nash and, and Tina and, and Chris that it's it's really fully formed. that it becomes like goofy yeah all right it, it, it stops being um you know uh a funny b- 
but still, you know, trying to be a bit kick-ass film, to just full-on goof troop. Well, there's still Donovan. He's still... Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, I mean, we'll the, get there, I guess. Yeah, because because basically the film becomes brilliant now, up until I would say like the last twenty minutes. But for from here on till then, till the like the final act, is where the movie really hits its stride. And I think this scene is like the kickoff of that. Of okay, now this has become very watchable. So Weatherby complains to Donovan about Max, who's been putting the moves on Helena to try and find out the vault code. And rather than kick Max off the island, Donovan sends Bayman to deal with him. Um, but Max, trying to back away from Bayman, kicks his shoes at him and accidentally knocks him unconscious. Yeah, well, he hits, he kicks him in the nuts first with one shoe. Right. Which we all laugh at. Of course. Um, because again, like, like instantly this movie has become goofy cartoon times. Yeah. So kicks off one shoe, hits Bayman in the nuts, he stops for a moment going... Arr! Basically, he he is very like like a cross between Zangief from Street Fighter uh, the movie and uh, Boa Bobo from the Double Dragon movie. I was just going to say that, yeah, yeah. That's Bayman's role in here. He is the big dumb muscle going the whole time. He's the he's the henchman for Donovan. Yes, pretty much so. Um, the second shoe that, that that Max kicks off hits Bayman in the face, then he falls over, hits a gold statue off a pedestal, and that falls on him and, and squashes him and impresses um, uh, the... What was her name? Helena. Helena. Impresses um, Helena very much. Yeah, she's Which is she's not what impressed. Weatherby wanted. Um, the next morning, Tina is getting some acupuncture from Kasumi. When uh, Base shows up again to challenge her, and then there's another, like, little awkward exchange because of this situation that he's now found his daughter with a different girl, and he asks if Christy knows about her. Yeah, which not only means that, that Kevin Nash's character of Base is perfectly cool with the, uh, you know, with his, his, his daughter's potential gayness, but also... Open relationships are perfectly fine with him as well, so long as everyone's knowing and consenting. He is the best dad ever. He is cool dad. Which is what, you know, Kevin Nash himself <laughs> is America's coolest dad. <laughs> um, they decide to fight on the raft, and uh, Kasumi gets out of the way and sort of hops up onto a water wheel and just sort of casually walks across the top of it for the length of the fight. <laughs> Yeah, there was something I really liked about that, though. There was something about the way, like, she's flung off when, when, um, when Bass, I keep calling him, I just want to call him Kevin Nash, because that's all he's playing. But when Bass jumps on the raft and flings Kasumi in the air, there's just something I liked about the way she sort of flipped in the air, then landed on the water wheel, and then was just, like, just gangster walking it's along so the It's so casual. Wheel. It was really, like, I really liked it. Yeah, I It was I did ridiculous well. and stupid, but, but well done at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree. I really, really enjoyed that particular bit. Um, and it's 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 not even that significant. It's just a, a, a brief moment, but it it's just another one of these fun things that are just tossed in. They, they come so quickly, and there's so many of them that it, it, it contributes to the sense that this is a movie you should be having fun with also. Uh, and thank God. Um, now, Tina eventually knocks Bass off, winning the match, and listening a show of pride from her father. Like, he's so happy that she's won. I love him. 
That's it, yeah. Like, the, the fight itself is... Well, it's well choreographed as a fight, and he's also just adorable the whole way through. Right. As, you know, he's not taking her seriously, and she's all frustrated because her dad won't take her seriously, and she kicks the shit out of him, and he's loving it the whole time. And then, yeah, gets thrown off the raft, which, you know, is the losing condition, then just just emanates from the water with a big thumbs up. This big beaming smile on his yeah. face. Incredibly yeah. proud of her. And it is sad because that is like his final scene of the film because yeah. we don't get to see him beyond that. He doesn't get to stay on the island. But yeah, that that's the end of his, his part in the film. But it was all the moment he's on screen, like it's him and, and Presley just really worked well together. They I did, thought. yeah. Um, this film, like... like has way more gold in it than it should. It's it does. I'm it's I'm incredible, just really. I'm astounded. I my expectations were so low going in, and I think and, and a lot of the people that you know, because every once in a while when we announce what film we're doing next, uh, and the the episode comes out, people will be like, "Oh man, you guys, that's gonna suck so hard." And I I have to question whether or not those people watched this movie. I I don't think they did. No, because. This is fun. Like, it's silly and and enjoyable. Um, the ladies decide to play a little beach volleyball next, um, providing the perfect distraction for Hayabusa to explore the DOA facility looking for evidence of Hayate's disappearance. And in 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 this, there's uh, a little bit of uh, of setup and 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 demonstration of the relationship between. Uh, Hayabusa and Kasumi, and he is just a total ball of goo when it comes to her. Like he's su- yeah. he was supposed to be protecting her. Uh, his best friend asked him to look after her, and there's just like literally nothing he can do to defy her wishes. <laughs> he- he's just a puddle around her, and that. You know, I think it really says something about this movie that I can think that deeply about these shallow characters. Like, they put enough into the performance and into the script that I care about them. Why is that? Yeah, like, I don't give a shit about their video game counterparts. Yeah. But these in-film characters, I'm invested in them, and I want to see them do well. So uh, the game gets, uh, volleyball gets cut short by a shuriken deflating it, uh, deflating the ball, that is, I should say, and it causes Kasumi to uh, run off, while Hayabusa winds up getting trapped down in the bowels of the facility. In a bamboo forest, Kasumi rushes in and encounters Ayane, and they fight. And during the fight, Kasumi's trying to convince Ayane to help learn what happened to Hayate with no luck. Uh, and she's fighting using these huge stalks of bamboo. And she, I, this is a great, like, there's, this is the wire fight uh, of this movie, more than yeah. anything. This is the, the two ninjas flying at each other and using this seemingly worthless environment to bounce around and, and perform all sorts of martial arts feats. And it's, it's pretty visually impressive. I have to give it to give it some credit. And I love the conclusion of the fight where uh, Kasumi disarms Ayane by taking this stalk of bamboo and smashing it against another one so that it frays and then spinning it in her face as she makes a thrust to sort of capture the sword inside the stalk. Yeah, again, I I don't think physics work that way. No. 
you know. But it's it's totally DOA, you know, it's it's that By this Jet film's Li style fighting logic, thing. It works. Yeah. Um now, the fight gets interrupted by Tina and Christy at this point, and that allows Ayane to escape off somewhere else where she can have another in, opportunity to attack In Kasume a pretty later. cool fashion, like, using the bamboo trees as, like, catapults for herself. Like, she grabs one and then catapults herself down to grab the sword and then fling herself away. Like, and she goes up above the tree line as she exits. Yeah. Pretty badass, yeah. Which, again, like, it's this... It, it's just continued commitment to this film of walking that line between genuinely badass and goofy as shit. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Max talks with Christy about a tattoo that he has deciphered from Helena's body. He took little photos of it while giving her uh, a massage. Um, but it turns out that it's probably not the, likely to be the code because it's too recent. She'd been showing it off to all the girls and saying she'd gotten it in Paris the previous year. Uh, meanwhile, Weatherby tries to put the moves on Helena at the bar with some awkward results, uh, but but she's warming up to him, and, and Zach, yeah. too, is still looking for some love with Tina, but they've been paired up as competitors, and uh, rather than interrupt this little cocktail party that's going on, they decide to postpone their fight till morning. Yeah, that, that, that got me, because it's DOA Island, and the rules were... At the, established at the beginning, the rules were when you get told you've got a match, that's it. It's on. You do it. You fight. And so, see, I don't think it. I don't think it's as clear as that. I think the rules were that the fights can happen wherever and whenever, and he picks the the fighters. He picks the combatants. I mean, I guess. I guess maybe. I mean, I'm now, just like in the event of Bayman, you know, I think he's ordering Bayman to go and start fights. Uh, yeah. Based on that, and and base, he's just so excited at the prospect of fighting that he charges off right away and does it. Maybe, but, but I mean, way, at the same time, way. here we see uh, base and Tina set their own terms for the for their for their particular match. Well, the thing that really gets me about this scene is Tina is ready to start the fight right there, right? Uh, and Zach puts her off it by saying, "Do you want to ruin this party for everyone?" It's DOA Island. That's what everyone's there for. It's Yeah, like, my <laughs> assumption would be that would add to the party. They were all watching the fights on monitors. They were enthralled by this. They want to see this shit. They're here for this. And yet, a fight at the fight tournament on an island about fighting would spoil the mood. Yeah, you don't want to ruin everybody's good time at the fighting tournament. Yeah. So they decide to have a quiet fight in a boring, somber place where hardly anyone's about. Yes. Yeah, so it just seems to be against the point of it. Big, open, forbidden temple thing. Maybe that's a reference to the game. Maybe it was a stage in one of the games. And and people cared about that. Maybe people were excited. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. But it's I wanted, you know, the music to start back up again and then to, to have a beach fight. Beach fight would have been good. Beach fight would have been real good. We didn't get a beach fight, but the fight we did get was pretty cool. It was pretty cool, yeah. And and it fairly evenly matched, surprisingly, uh, up until the end when yeah. Tina just... A lot, totally uh, lot of cartoon sound effects in this one, tweeting birds, and this is where there's the shotgun leg, 
where Tina goes to kick at Zack and for some reason they decide a shotgun cocking noise would best exemplify like how her leg works. Of course, you know, and, and maybe that's just that's just Zack. That's just the presence of Zack being so zany. Yeah. Because it really yeah. ups the quotient. And you can't you can't uh stop Zack. You can you can only hope to repress him a little bit. As he so you know, astutely pointed out while getting his scan and dancing around. Such a weird, weird character. <laughs> oh, we didn't mention. We didn't mention when Weatherby goes to see Helena and has oh, that and dream sequence. Oh, and has the sequence. other American Beauty moment. Yeah, I just had that thought also, actually. Yes. When Rose he's, is he's superimposed. going to make his approach to um, Helena to flirt with her at first. Uh, he has this whole rose petals flying in the air fantasy. And they even use that music. Yes. The one that no one knows the name of, but you know it when you hear it. That that one they always have for romantic fucking flashbacks or when you see the woman of your dreams. and the... That shit. It's fucking mm-hmm. ridiculous. Now... Um... So, yes, uh, Tina winds up kicking the crap out of Zack. Yeah. And uh, earns his respect and an apology for his mistreatment. So, you know, Zack doesn't have to be a bad guy forever. Yeah. Which he is, says that from now on, he'll be betting on her. Which is nice. It's nice to see. he. It, it's nice to not have to feel like he's a total dick at the end of this. Um, this leads to the final match in the bracket, pitting Christy against Helena. And the way they sort of depict this is they uh how they show christy making a deal with max to find the vault code in exchange for half of the cash in the vault and all of the prize money if she wins in the tournament and then they sort of cut the next sequence back and forth between her drawing out the tattoo that she has discovered on helena's body during the fight and showing us the fight itself, which is this pretty dramatic, like, it's raining, it's wet, the two of them are, are going at it, clothes are clinging to bodies. Yeah, um, I uh, let the dog out during this moment, I figured it would be a boring scene. I mean, it's the most dramatic of the fights up to this point, in terms of it trying to, uh, I don't know, make you feel feel like this is significant and it's weird because it's not that significant because these are two no. characters that really have no relationship to each other at all no the the only thing they have in common is they are basically two named important to the plot characters right but that's this is, that's our investment like they shouldn't be that invested right this is the the level of drama that we should have been seeing in the or that you would expect to have seen in the fight between kasumi and ayane earlier Right. Yeah. That, that though you know, because they have a actual emotional complexity to their relationship, and there's a lot going on there to unpack. And I don't think that it would have been better to have done that. I just kind of wonder why they bothered doing this type of fight at all. Um, but uh, she does draw this, uh, uh, or see this tattoo that she's drawing during the fight, and then defeats Helena in combat. And maybe that, I guess. That might be the justification for it being dramatic just because one of these two characters is going to have to be eliminated in the tournament at this point, And they're both major characters that have been established as important. That's it. I think that's the only reason for it is this is the only this is the first fight we've seen between two main characters. It's just, where it, one just seems, it just seems so kind of unnecessary, 
I guess. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, 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 it's out of place in a film that up until this point has been a, a screwball comedy for all ages. Right. Um, so she, uh, Christy draws this tattoo and, uh, and there are lines, lines underneath a, a Buddha's head that, uh, shows when viewed in its reflection in a mirror that, you know, code numbers for the vault. So they found the vault code. Um, now Kasumi, Christy, and Tina are having a snack the next day and realize that nobody's seen Hayabusa since yesterday. <laughs> Forgotten about. Forgot about Haya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they decide to go look for him. And they head to Donovan's office where they find a secret door by turning a Buddha head on a statue. That opens this door to secret lab. Where they find Hayabusa unconscious. And while trying to wake him, he's in this sort of circular chamber off of where all the computers are, are located. Uh, the door closes behind him and traps them in there. So now they're all trapped. Weatherby is trying to comfort Helena after her defeat in the tournament and reveals to her that Donovan wanted to change the direction of Weatherby's research against the wishes of Helena's father. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. Who, it is implied, was then killed by Donovan. Well, technically by Bayman, but killed by Donovan. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, God. And the two decide to confront Donovan, but must first deal with a group of ninja warriors he sent to sequester everybody else on the island still yeah because for some reason he's decided now's the time to just be evil it's just switch flipped got what i needed i have all these people trapped life's good um there was no need for anything donovan does beyond this point he'd basically won already yeah pretty much so oh, more well. fighting happens um, uh, but Weatherby, Weatherby is comically poor at it, uh, though he does get a good hit in at the end, um, and, and hurts his hand in that, uh, comically traditional geeky way. Yeah. Uh, Classic in the lab, thing. Kasumi, Hayabusa, Tina, and Christy are all confined in individual sorts of pod things, and Donovan appears and reveals that the purpose of the data that he's been collecting from nanobots is that they're to be used, it's to be used with a pair of glasses to create a perfect warrior. Okay. I mean, I have some issues with the technological viability of this system. I've seen Chuck. I understand the whole downloading shit into people's brains. But this just seems to be like putting information on the glasses to allow you to more quickly predict an opponent's actions yeah like that's what i thought that's where i thought this was going when i'm hearing nanobots and recorded data i'm like okay so he's gonna like what put all that shit into himself to become the ultimate fighter and it's like no 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 i've got these glasses <laughs> that i wear that can fall off that just basically they're just it's just a scanner basically it's like it gives you shitty version of what the Terminator's got. Yeah. and you, But you still have to be able to respond quickly enough with the right action to do that. So I, yeah. like, And also, ha you have to be fighting the opponent whose data you've got. Yes, that's the other, that, that's the other thing that comes in. Yeah, uh, and he's selling these glasses worldwide. 
That's his ultimate plan, is to sell this technology. So basically, this technology is valuable to anyone who wants to fight strictly for people. <laughs> but he downloads the data from the four competitors' nanobots uh, into the glasses and tests the system in a fight with Hayate, who it's learned is still alive. And, and, and I guess he has data on Hayate already also... I, I don't know. It seem, they seem to imply imply as much. Yeah, but the agreement. He, he strikes a deal with Hayate that if Hayate wins, everyone goes free. But Hayate loses because Donovan's able to predict his every move with the glasses, and he winds up thrown through the the lab wall into the tower surrounding the Buddha, and literally flies into Ayane, reuniting the lovers. And so they go off together, yeah, and are not seen again. So that whole subplot just. A wall solved it. The whole and thing. they do come back. What's that? They come back. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, because there's that bit where he punches Thingy in the foot under the floor. Oh, I don't remember it at all. Oh, they, they come back as part of the dramatic fight at the end. Okay, I don't remember them in it. I'm, I'll, uh, I'm sure it I, I can't remember what Ayani does, but I will. I know what the other dude does. Alright, well... um. Anyway, Max, having followed Weatherby and Helena into the facility, locates the vault and begins penetrating it with the tattoo from Helena. Uh, Donovan's test being successful, he starts transmitting the collected data to shadowy customers around They're the world. They're not, though. This is, <laughs> this is another of my favorite bits of the film. We see a screen with various, I guess, webcam footage of all the buyers who want to buy these glasses. And they've been watching this demonstration that Donovan's been performing. And you expect, like, either, like, shadowy corporate-looking guys or military-looking guys or, like, other fighting-looking dudes. They all look like just dudes. Just, like... Like, they... They look like they want a contest to be in the movie. Yeah, yeah, they, they just look like regular men. They're all men, as far as I can recall. Different ages, but all sort of, like, middle-aged, some of them baldings, all of them wearing either, like, you know, a casual button-up or a t-shirt. Like, they don't look like rich buyers of forbidden secret technology. (laughs) I don't get why they chose those, like, I think it's like six or eight guys. Just random plebs who look like you could find them on chat roulette or something. Uh, Weatherby interrupts this transmission of data and contacts the CIA. And Donovan, realizing that the jig is up, uh, sends Bayman to collect the money from the vault so the two of them can make their escape. Now, Bayman runs into Max, who's busy trying to steal the money, and winds up getting knocked out. Helena confronts Donovan. And they fight because Helena's data isn't in the program Donovan downloaded, so she's able to get a few hits in. And Donovan gets to uh, gets eventually gets past her and gets to the computer lab, taking the disc with the fighter data, and uh, and <laughs> slamming Weatherby's head against the keyboard a few times, comically having some of them stuck to his forehead as he rises up. I, I like that. Yeah, that made me giggle. Um, he takes the disc with the fighter data and activates a self-destruct sequence for the base, uh, which is going to go off in, like, three minutes, which does not seem a lot of time to, like, make your escape. Even, you know, if you are fairly confident that you can just leave. Like, I would... Maybe ten? Give yourself ten minutes? 
Like, you have a much better odds of getting off the island than any of these people. They'll probably still die in ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Weatherby's able to free himself, uh, or able, able to uh, free the, the four captured warriors once he comes round from having been hit with a keyboard, and they all proceed to chase after Donovan, while uh, Bayman is acting as a, uh, a distraction, and Hayabusa deals with, with him while the ladies move on to confront Donovan. Uh, Weatherby tries to shut down the self-destruct sequence, but it's irreversible. And Hayabusa is about to be defeated by Bayman, uh, but Weatherby and Max intervene and save him. So the two, like, kind of not really fightery guys uh, do wind up being useful in terms of saving a really good fightery guy. That's great. Uh, Donovan loses his glasses in the ladder fight, which they're, they're fighting in over the center of this tower that they'd climbed earlier. Yeah. I also love how when he, when uh, Donovan falls over and the glasses fall off his face and slip off the side of the tower, you just hear like, and it's quite obviously dubbed in as well, you just hear, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> like, not even that worried that his grand plan has just literally slipped out of his hands. It's just, oh no. It's, 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 well, it, it's, it's sort of like, oh great, this is the final yeah. straw. Yeah. Like, he he but resigned himself. Fair, to be fair, though, it's not like he waited very long for his master plan because earlier in the film when he's uh, revealing it, it's like, I've waited a year for this. <laughs> like, normally the bad guys waited their whole life right. or, you know, decades for something. It's like, no, this has taken me a whole year of planning. Well, you know, that's that's the problem with these sort of corporate entities is that they're all about short-term games. They don't, they don't think it. about long-term projections. Yeah. Yeah. It's just keep the shareholders happy now. It's... I've got eight random weirdos on a webcam who want to buy this now. <laughs> um, ultimately, Donovan is killed in the fight. Uh, Kasumi yeah. leaps... It's at this point, this is why Donovan falls over. Because when Donovan's running away, um, Kasumi's brother is under, like he's a floor underneath on the tower. Okay. And runs up like using, I don't know, martial arts knowledge, just works out when and like where Donovan is underneath him and then leaps up and punches the floorboards and then we get a little like x-ray of Donovan's foot showing, I guess, like nerves breaking or something in the foot and that's when he falls over. And that allows Kasumi to leap in the air and then acupuncture Donovan in the back of the neck, freezing him in place. I must have been looking like entirely i almost like glanced away at exactly the wrong moment to miss that entirely because that's a pretty yeah that's like that's literally how the bad guy is taken out of the film wait but i saw i saw the bit with kasumi doing the the leap and the pin thing yeah. at, at the end like and the needle i that i saw both times i watched the movie i don't know how i missed the bit with hayate immediately before it yeah. That's weird. Yeah, because it's pretty significant because they, you know, they do a whole like Mortal Kombat style x-ray of his foot getting fucked Yeah, out. exactly. That's, that's my point. It's strange that you didn't see that. That's very odd. I want to believe you. I really do. <laughs> but you're deceitful, Jim. <laughs> uh, so uh, the heroes escape by jumping off the tower just before yeah. it explodes. And the and last shot of Donovan's horrifying. It is, yes, because his just, flesh like, is his... just burned away from behind, and he's just 
paralyzed. He's paralyzed. I can't talk. Like you know, it's a it's a it's a true I have no mouth and I must scream moment. And we just watch the skin blacken and flake like uh, Linda Hamilton in Terminator Two. It's horrible. It, it's it you know, and and the funny thing is, is, like if there was anything in this movie that was going to maybe trigger the line out of PG thirteen, it's that. Yeah, that's weird. Like, they managed to make a TNA movie, and that's the concern that I would yeah. have with it. Just uh, Crispy Donovan. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well done, them. Um, out on the ocean, the DOA fighters, specifically Tina first, are found by the same group of pirates that had previously attacked Tina on the yacht. She scares them, I guess, and takes their boat and picks everyone up, and they all escape. Yeah. Um, and everybody is paired off in relationships uh where applicable yeah so and there's yeah. that last scene with the ninjas yes everything. and then a week later there's five the five ladies of doa face down a horde of ninja at kasumi's temple and the credits roll and god i i can't believe i'm saying this i wish that it had born a sequel yeah yeah i don't disagree like, I, Dead I or wish alive. that 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 had paid off like they did the same the same basic scene in mortal Kombat, yeah. and i wish that they had stopped that there but dead or alive had been allowed to continue yeah i mean it's i honestly at this point it's it's a funnier film <laughs> yeah what a funny film anyway we'll be back with a little roundup in a minute So Conrad, did you like Dead or Alive or not? I don't even know if we need the answer. No, I I did. I liked it a lot. Yeah, same here. Genuinely, like if you've never watched it and you think we're shitting you, genuinely. And bear in mind, of course, you if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you already know what we enjoy. You know that we found uh, Street Fighter a genuinely fun film. You know that we liked Mortal Kombat. You know that Double at least Dragon I have even. a yeah. I was going to say I have a fondness for Double Dragon, uh, so it's it's definitely on that sort of level. Um, I said before we recorded that I feel uh, DOA is like Street Fighter the movie and the Mortal Kombat movie had a baby, mm-hmm. and the baby wasn't as good as its parents, but you can see the the lifeblood of both of them in this film. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, it's con- it's pretty consistent, apart from that that brief period where, um, it seems like it could be serious right at the very beginning. Yeah, right at the very beginning is weak, and also when it gets serious at the end as well. Yeah, like and, like and, when and Donovan turns evil, I found myself like really just wanting the film to be over. I feel like they could have camped that better. Like they could have camped him up a little more. Yeah, I feel like that could have worked. I mean, it, it it's a real tonal shift. Yeah. That goes from, you know, fun comedy silly film with a hint of badass to just fighting and a bit dour and, you know, the villain being just generically evil. It just becomes very bog standard action adventure, which is a letdown because up until then it is so it's it's such an overused phrase to say better than it has any right to be but god damn this is one of those things that really justifies the continued use of that phrase yeah yeah it, it should not be as fun as it is I, I was not expecting it i thought we'd be here today either laughing at it 
or lamenting. And instead, like, I'm genuinely... I'm genuinely happy to talk about the film. Yeah. Yeah, it... it, it it's funny. Like, it's actually funny. Yeah, yeah. Actually, genuinely. Maybe not, you know, laugh out loud, bust a gut rollercoaster no, funny. No, but when but, it tries to make a joke, by and large, the joke lands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the gag scan. It's not... It's not failed humor. The we're, actors and, and are we're committed. Not laughing at the, yeah, and they turn in generally very good performances. Well, they got some decent actors. Yes. You know, again, you know, we've already mentioned Jamie Presley. We've mentioned Kevin Nash, um, Holly Valance. You know, I I, I mentioned. And I the, forgot that she was an actor before she did the um, the Kiss Kiss song. Well, and these, but you I, know, these I aren't because I used to watch her or in even B tier actors in a lot of circumstances. But None. they're all competent, and and give the amount of attention that the characters more they give more attention to the characters than they probably deserve, and, and they've they've made they haven't made me interested in DOA as a franchise. No, but I love this movie. I'm interested in the DOA cinematic universe. Yes, yes, and and, and the fact that that consists of a film. It's sad to and me. Credit where credit's due. They they drew upon the game's plot. I mean, this is basically the plot of Dead or Alive three, mm-hmm. more or less, uh, in terms of what the villains' goals are and and yeah, I did do a little reading up on on um, uh, Douglas and no, not Douglas, um, Donovan. Donovan. I don't know why I decided to call him Douglas for a second. Um, Donovan. I did a little reading up and I realized that, yeah, like, uh, like you say, it does follow that fairly closely. Well, yeah, he's, and, a, he's and... a recurring villain, I guess, in the, mm-hmm. in the series. And then that's that's fine. But they, they characterized him in a way that was consistent. And uh, they they seem to have done that with most of this. Yeah. Um, so and, it, and... it's faithful. It's entertaining. I mean, it's it's, it's well directed. They've got a cre- a very credible director. The fight sequences are are on the whole very well choreographed. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. They're not as um, uh, they're not as as Im- martially impressive as Mortal Kombat because Mortal Kombat, of course, picked fighters first and actors second. Right, and this whereas and it's this, the other way around with this one. Well, and this comes in the post, you know, wire. Uh, filming shift. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's sort of beyond uh, Crouching Tiger. And yeah, all there's a one. lot more flexibility there at this point, I think, in terms of how you shoot and, and, and structure those, that you can have people yeah. who are much more on the acting side. And they're not there to put on a martial arts clinic or anything. No. Like, it's it's over the top, it's cartoony, um, the, the fighting is... You know, it defies physics and everything. You know, there's ridiculous scenes of, of... I remember at one point Zach getting kicked and flies up in the air toward the camera at such a ludicrous height yeah. before getting smashed through solid rock and all this stuff. Like, it, it, it is very... It's uh, a cartoon. It's, yeah, yeah, it's unapologetically so. It's not as, it's not as much a comedy as uh, Street Fighter, which, as we all know, was a, a comedy. In the vein but, of Rush Hour, yeah. In the vein of Rush Hour, um, carries the lifeblood of it, but it's it's definitely comical and like well, like I said, you know, it's got Mortal Kombat's 
more serious side married to the, the, the zany antics of Street Fighter the movie, which makes it um, a, a, a more serious movie in the vein of Rush Hour. It's so weird that I feel like more attention and care was applied to the production of a movie based on Dead or Alive than any other property I think we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of the licensed stuff, just to exclude uh, Wreck-It Ralph, um, I mean, maybe Silent Hill, just because I know from a fact standpoint just how big a fan... Um, you know how many fans are working on it? How can uh, Konami? But this, this is, Konami this is on the other end of a spectrum there too, as as a as a comedy, as a light thing, and they and Dead or Alive is that I think to a, a large extent. I I think it's um, it's a lot like Resident Evil, in the respect that it is just sort of over the top and stupid, mm-hmm. and and here we're getting over the top and stupid. But with heart and and characters that you kind of care about, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I care about the cast, and I felt like everyone involved gave a shit about what they were doing. There were there were there were no Ben Kingsleys here. No, not none of them even. No, like, nobody not phoned even, it in. No, I mean, I didn't. I I don't. I don't think that Eric Roberts is a phenomenal actor, and and the guy who played Zach. I think would have liked to have been um, uh, the guy from Rush Hour. Uh, Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. I think he would have liked to have been Chris Tucker in another life. But other than that, like I, I, I they still they still did their jobs. Yeah, and they did them well. Like I, I enjoyed Zach uh, when he was on, and he wasn't um, he wasn't so annoying either. He they could have really overused him. Yeah, they they hinted that there's a scene early in the film when he's getting his scan, and he's jumping around and doing all like dancing and stuff, and we're kind of like, is is that are we going with that? Yeah, like the, just this stereotypical over the top tropey character, and then after that scene, they kind of dial it in, and his he actually gets a plot, you know, of of his dealings with Tina. Um, so yeah, that that that. There, there was no one I did not. I mean, the whole Kasumi and Hayabusa thing were were it was pretty boring. Yeah, that was the dullest point. But then they were given the most po-faced, serious plot line. Yeah, yeah, so I agree. Have that there were a weak with. point in this um, performance and 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 plotting wise. It's the Hayabusa Kasumi thing. Yeah, but even then, like they. It's not overwhelming the film. No, it's and they're just earnest. one of several plot strings. Yep. And and yeah, they 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 perform their jobs to the the to the best of what they were given. And it's also worth noting that despite having such a large cast and number of characters that they they have in play, everybody gets time. Nobody feels abandoned in the story. Um Except, you know, um, Big Sexy. Yeah. But but even then, that he serves his purpose and he's out of it, and that's understandable. It's just regrettable that you want more of him. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I can't, I'm just so, I'm so confused, <laughs> Jim. 
I know, I know. I did not predict that this is how this show would go, that we'd watch Dead or Alive and be here praising it. And honestly, I'm fairly confident in saying it is one of, one of the very best we've looked easily, at. Easily in the top three. Easily in the top three. I don't disagree with that at all. And as I say that, I feel sarcastic, and I'm not being sarcastic. Yeah, like, we can't impress upon you enough how serious we actually are about this. Dead or Alive I'm... is a pretty good movie if you are yeah. open to enjoying a goofy, comical, silly martial arts thing. In the vein of Rush Hour. Yeah. Pretty much. And also, you know, a film that's ultimately uh, a story about shrugging off the patriarchy as uh, a group of women get rid of the men who have been held holding them back. It, it, it is. It does have a very progressive female first message. Which, for a, a film that spends a lot of time focused on assholes and tits, you know, but it's fairly impressive. It is surprisingly impressive. Like it both, I uh, it both objectifies and raises up women simultaneously. How do you Which, do that? I, I, nothing. This film does make sense. <laughs> That's the thing about it. It defies all laws of sense, and that's part of why I like it. Because it it shouldn't be. I don't even think it's from this reality. <laughs> I think it was summoned summoned from elsewhere, from a, a different possibility, a different continuum. But there we are, that's dead or alive. So what are we doing next time, Jim? What are we doing next time? Well, it's been a hot minute, so let's go back to some zombies. Like, seriously, listeners, you have no idea how many zombie films we still have to get through. So we're going to go back and do another one. This one will be Dead Rising. Specifically, Dead Rising Watchtower, which is the name of the movie. Apparently, uh, apparently the movie's too good to just be called Dead Rising. But it's, it's, uh, it's another, a... another pretty recent one for us. Yeah, 2015, in fact. And that, uh, So that was out on Crackle. That'll be fun. Going Crackle. We're going full Crackle next time. Going so full Crackle. You better watch yourselves. Um, I don't know what I mean by <laughs> that. Um, but anyway... That's been the spin-off Doctors. That's been Dead or Alive. If you watched it or if you didn't, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, as always, you can check us out elsewhere. You can check out Conrad at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Conrad Zimmerman on YouTube. What you, what you got coming up for us on YouTube? Oh, God, I don't, I don't know. My life just, like, took a left turn in Albuquerque. <laughs> I'm so ridiculously busy right now. I would like to get something up on that channel, but... Uh... I don't know how soon that would happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, you are very busy. November, maybe November. Maybe November, if you're lucky. And uh, as always, you can check us out on another podcast we do together. That is Fist Shark Marketing. It's an improvised comedy show about uh, some uh, marketing executives. And you can see that at fistshark.com. Yes, that is yes. very good. It is. I, I think it's quite, quite all right. It's quite <laughs> smashing. So maybe check that out if you're... Uh, Bored. Or even if you're not, just just listen to fuck it wouldn't kill you to fucking listen to it, would you? Would, 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 it? would that be would that be so bad? Like That'd be too fucking much to ask of your highness. No, I didn't think so. Go fucking listen to it, you goddamn layabouts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it from us. Um if you do like to watch films before the you listen to these, then make sure you watch Dead Rising Watchtower. You got two weeks and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.